from Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. So in this series, Bible Q&A, we're working through the Hebrew lection of what we sometimes refer to as the scriptures from the Old Testament. I've suggested to you that all of them raise big questions. This morning, the question is, God really any help? We find this story about a covenant God is using as a vehicle to establish a relationship with humanity. Now, if you know the context of this, you know the people have not always been faithful to this covenant. They've disobeyed things God has said. They've complained about what God has told them to do or how God has led them. They've basically been disobedient. And now a foreign oppressor has come from Babylon, conquered them, taken away their leaders and any booty they saw fit. And these people are living in exile. And in those difficult circumstances they're wondering about where is God they're wondering is the covenant made with Moses at Mount Sinai ended has God abandoned them because of their disobedience is there really any help in their time of need now that's not our situation And yet I imagine that all of us have found ourselves in circumstances from one time or another or maybe a lot of our lives even where we were struggling, things were not going the way we wanted, we had asked God for something, it had not happened in the way we had requested, and we're wondering, is God really any help? Where is God? Will God? Can God? really helped me my oldest daughter was about eight years old one night we were getting ready for bed our bedtime routine was reading some books kind of talking about her day how things were going debriefing she was telling me about some problems some struggles she was having at school after I listened and we sort of sorted through those I suggested to her perhaps we should pray about it She said, oh, Daddy, why would I do that? I've tried that, and God never changed anything. Well, you can imagine my heart was just a little bit broken. But she gives voice to what many people feel and think, whether they're children or adults. I've prayed, and God didn't do what I want. I prayed, and God didn't make it the way I had hoped. It's not turning out the way I expected. 
But it's good to remember that God is not our genie in a bottle and we just rub the bottle and make our request and God responds. Now we have an image of God like that often, but that's not very good understanding of who God is and who the people of faith have claimed God is. It's rather the other way around. We are to follow God's commands. We are to line up with God's purposes and seek God's will, not the other way around. So when we run into problems, when we run into turbulent times, when life is not working out the way we had hoped or we expected, we have some options. We can blame God. We can focus and complain on the problems. We can even declare God's not any help at all. Or we can focus on the promises of God, cling to our faith in God, renew our commitment to looking for where God might be at work in our lives already. What's your focus? Problems or promises? There have been a number of physicians and medical researchers over the last 40 years or so working on the difference between patients who recover and patients who have an illness or disease and decline trying to figure out what is the difference. I met one of them, one of the pioneers in cancer research and treatment, Dr. Carl Symington, when my own father was struggling with cancer years ago. Dr. Dean Ornish, a heart specialist, has looked at this with heart patients. Perhaps the best known is a fellow named Dr. Bernie Siegel. He wrote a book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles. He said what he sees when he looks at all this research are five faiths that are important. I put them in your outline. He says these are important. Faith in yourself. Faith in your doctor. Faith in your treatment. Faith in your spiritual life. And faith in your family. Now, there's no guarantee that if you have that kind of faith that you won't die or that you'll go into remission or you'll not have any health problems. But Dr. Siegel says what he's seen is it does increase the quality of all those patients who hold that faith and often the quantity of their days as well. I think when you focus on those things he mentions, it's the focus on the promises of life. It's looking forward, looking to the future, holding on to hope. That's what Jeremiah says. That's how this passage begins today. He says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord. There's going to be a better day coming. God is at work helping us come through this. It's a focus on hope. It's a focus on the future it's not unlike what the choir was singing just a moment ago from Psalm 23. That psalm has such confidence in God. God's going to be right there with me. God's going to lead me. God's going to give me rest and peace. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall live in the house of the Lord forever. It's a confident faith, believing that despite whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that God is with us, that God is there, and God can lead us into the future. In verses 33 and 34 of our passage today, the five times this passage tells us how God will act, that God is indeed going to act at the beginning of verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then at the very end of the passage, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That's a commitment from God to people who have broken the covenant, who've been in discord with one another and disobeyed. They've been given the Ten Commandments. They've decided not to follow all of those. But Jeremiah says that God is saying I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to renew the covenant. I'm still going to forgive your sin. I'm still going to be with you. I'm still loving you despite whatever circumstances you find yourselves in. For surely the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with you. But we need to remember what the new part is the fact that God has a people is not really new. The fact that the people have been disobedient, not really new. The fact that God says, I will still forgive your sin, I'll still be your God, we'll still have this covenant, none of that is really new. What's new is in verse 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That is new. It's a shift from just external guidelines and rules to help the people live, to guide them into how to function as a community. It says that God is working within each of our hearts to remake our hearts, to reshape our habits, our hearts, our will, our character, to make us into what God wants us to be. And it's important to remember that in Jewish thought, hearts is not just feelings, but is more like will or desire, commitment, fortitude. That God is working in that place to strengthen us to not only know the law, but to follow the law. To not only receive God's love, but to live by God's love. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. As Christians, we interpret this passage as being fulfilled by Jesus. This is God helping us. This is God coming to us. This is God living within us. That's the promise. When my kids were little, we watched a lot of sesame street and then this character named barney came out and just took over kids programming there's a story that came out then about a pediatrician that was working with a young girl trying to build rapport as he checked her over when he was looking in her ear 
He said to her, do you think I'm going to find Big Bird in there? She did not answer. He asked her to open her mouth and put the tongue depressor in, looked in and said, I wonder if Cookie Monster's down in there. No response. He said, I need to listen to your heart. I'm going to put a little touch you right here. I'm going to listen. I wonder if I might hear Barney singing right there. She said, no. Barney's on my pajamas. Jesus is in my heart. (laughs) She had no idea, though that's a revolutionary idea theologically, that God can live within us, that God can write on our hearts, that we can come close to God through Jesus. It's a monumental notion that God is working within us to shape and form us evermore into God's people and into the image of Christ. We reaffirm this every time we celebrate Holy Communion. We talk about the new covenant that Jesus has made and how we're remembering what He said. And it's coming to us through the bread and the juice. A new covenant. We pray that God might make the bread and juice the body and blood of Christ for us so that we might be for the world the body of Christ. That we might be renewed. Not just for ourselves, but on behalf of the whole world. That God might live in us and that others might see it and experience it because of the way that we walk with Christ in our own lives. Jeremiah is proclaiming this revolutionary idea that God wants to reshape our hearts and our character, our very being, to be like that of Christ. Former staff members sent me an email recently talking about buzzards and bumblebees. It said that buzzards are great flying creatures, but they usually run 10 or 12 feet before they take off and soar through the sky. This little article said if you'll put them in a little cage 6 by 8 feet, even if there's no top, they'll never fly again. Then it said bumblebees are kind of the same. If you drop a bumblebee, it said, into a jar, you need not put a lid in it because they'll be at the bottom and they'll just keep trying to get through the glass. It's a glass wall, but they never look up. They just keep banging their heads into the glass wall until they become exhausted and die. The person writing the email said, the buzzards and the bumblebees never look up. And sometimes people are like that too. That there's help available. But we often don't seek it because we don't look up. Let's be people who look up, who look to God, who believe, who look to the promises of God, believing that God is at work in our hearts as Jeremiah proclaims. Let's focus on the promises rather than the problems and receive the love of God into our hearts today. Amen. And thanks be to God.